Hello, and welcome to our FPC Conversations podcast, where we explore how God is working in the everyday lives of people in the FPC community. I'm Josh Gillespie, the Minister of City Engagement and Modern Worship at First Press. We are so grateful that you've chosen to join us to hear the stories of people connected to the FPC community, and we hope you find encouragement through these conversations. In today's episode, you are going to go on a journey to different parts of the world as Jamie Franklin talks with Bill Briggs. Bill has been a part of FPC for many years and has lived a full life of adventure, travel, lifelong learning, and service all while facing physical challenges and learning about his own faith and trusting in God along the way. Bill's story is a fascinating, real-life adventure, and we hope you enjoy getting to know him better. Welcome to FPC Conversations. This is Jamie Franklin and Dan Kimball on sound, and we're here visiting with our friend Bill Briggs. A uh, longtime member of First Press with uh, history here, and we're going to um, explore his history and his walk uh, this morning. So, welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Look forward to it. So, let's start with take us to the beginning of your story, and uh, let's walk along your journey for a bit. All right. Um, I was born in 1947, and uh, I mentioned that because. Uh, when I was four months old, my grandfather, uh, who was a Methodist minister, uh, came out from Boston area, and uh, I was baptized at Sequoia National Park. Of course, I don't remember any of that. But the importance is how the covenant relationship carried through my life, which I didn't appreciate when I was young. And uh, I think of... Uh, all those who invested in me, uh, we attended St. Paul's Methodist Church. Uh, my mother was uh, uh, very active, a believer. Uh, my father was uh, marginal, uh, mostly didn't attend. Uh, but my mother made sure that um, myself and my sister uh, were at the church, attended, were involved in the youth group. Uh, which is called MYF, and uh, we were very active in that. So I was there at least two days a week. And uh, some of those people put up with me. I can't believe it. Uh, in the 50s, um, we had advisors, and one of them is still alive. She's 98 years old, Ann Marshall, who we still have contact with. And uh, they have a home up at Hume Lake, and uh, she would take the whole youth group up there to their cabin and to other places. And I was the kind of kid you did not want to have on your trip. Because? Because I wanted to explore. And so my buddy and I, we would invariably find a stream and just start hiking, find out what's up at the top. Um, and uh, they'd start searching for us. And uh, Anne and her husband were uh, so wonderful. Uh, it would have been easy to say, you know, maybe you shouldn't be going on these. And they never did. They just loved us. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was a wonderful time. It was a wonderful time to grow up in the 50s 
as a young person because uh, we rode our bikes everywhere. I played uh, baseball since I was seven years old. And I'd ride my bike from the Manchester area to Romaine Playground three times a week. You can't do that anymore. And uh, one of my friends and another close friend, uh, we had uh, our bikes and uh, we rode to Yosemite. No money, rode to Yosemite, didn't know quite what we were gonna do there, but we knew that would be a great adventure. Uh, my mother was back east visiting her family. My dad really didn't care, so he was glad to kind of have me out of the way. And so we had a great, great adventure. All the way to the valley? All the way to the valley. Well, yeah, we made it to the valley. One of my buddies went through the tunnel, lost control, went over the side of the road. We were more concerned that he was going to ruin our trip than whether he was okay or not. So his front wheel was all bent so we all stomped on it yeah. so he was he made it to the valley with this wheel that was just wobbling all the way down and you were how old uh probably 13 and uh compared uh, to yosemite's 90 miles yeah yeah going down from chinkapin down we were we were almost out of control <laughs> and what kind of what kind of bike were you on i had a 10 speed a bianchi right. the other fella had a three speed the one who crashed had just a regular bike, yeah. and <laughs> and he's still my one of my closest friends. He's up in the veterans hospital right now, mm -hmm. and uh, we got to the valley, and at that time you didn't need reservations to to camp or anything. So we got a place right on the river, mm -hmm. and uh, again no food or anything or no money, but the people next to us happened to be a coach and attended my grandfather's church in Massachusetts. I mean, just unbelievable. Yes. And so he gave us all these health drinks and everything to have, and, and uh, we would go to the restaurant and look in the window and watch people eat, and some would feel sorry for us, and so they would <laughs> help us out. And uh, we stayed a week, and then we made it back. We got a hitched a ride on a logging truck coming back uh, for part of the way, which was wonderful. And uh, my mother just went ballistic when she found out what we did. <laughs> Were there repercussions? No, <laughs> no. And uh, but just to say, I've always loved the adventure. Yeah, always loved moving forward, finding what's out there, discovering something new, and uh, that brought us to like the '60s. Yeah, and. Growing up, uh, I really learned a lot about the Marine Corps. Both my parents had served in the Marine Corps during World War II. And uh, my father had uh, graduated from Clovis High in like 1940. 1941, he joined the Marine Corps and was fought in all the island campaigns, Guadalcanal, all of them, with the 1st Marine Division and lived four years. And uh, then he went to Korea and was at uh, Chosen Reservoir with, again, the 1st Marine Division. And had a really impact on me. Just while he and I did not have a close relationship, I appreciated his commitment. And, uh, and I grew up loving this country. And, 
and the sacrifices that others had made and that I could enjoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so early on, I knew I wanted to uh, make a career out of the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. And um, so in the early 60s, uh, I was attending McLean High School. I played baseball and football. Uh, baseball mainly because my dad, mm -hmm. that was something he really pushed. He had signed a uh, major league contract with the St. Louis Cardinals as a catcher out of high school. Well, he's gone four years. Mm -hmm. Coming back, his time had passed, mm -hmm. but he loved the game. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was something, that was the one thing that he and I really had in common. And I loved the game too. But I loved it not because I wanted to be a professional ball player, I just loved playing baseball. Were you also a catcher? I was also a catcher. And um, so I attended McLean. Uh, and in 1964, our junior year, um, Michelle and I were active in different things. We didn't know one another. McLean was a huge high school at that time. I think we had 3,000 students, had over 1,000 in my graduating class. So there were a lot of people we didn't know. And um, she was involved in band and orchestra, and I was involved in athletics. I mean, it was kind of two different groups. Um, so we didn't know each other at all. But our mothers knew each other from uh, PTA. They were both very active. And so they decided to figure out a way for us to meet. So Michelle gave Michelle a big envelope to take over to my mother, Millie. And... Uh, when she got there, my mother got me up, said, why don't you put on a shirt, go to the door and see who's there. And so I did, and wow, that was it for me. I mean, I, uh, I was, I said, that's the girl. And did it, Michelle think the same when she saw you? I think so. We should have her here so she could answer. Well, it turned out that way because we were in our junior year, and we've been together ever since, since 1964. And um, so we graduated in 65, and at that time, the Vietnam War was just beginning. Most of my graduating class was either going to get drafted, go to Canada, or uh, go to a university at some place. And... I wanted to uh, be commissioned in the Marine Corps, so I um, uh, went to Fresno State, was not too excited about the academic aspect of it. I just wanted the degree mm -hmm. so I could get the commission. You had to maintain over a 3.0 average, and, and um, so, and Michelle was a straight-A student in college. She uh, was... Uh, focused and um, we couldn't get married because couldn't afford to and uh, Michelle's family dad w had the right idea Cecil when you got married you took your laundry everything with you mm -hmm. and you were on your own mm -hmm. which I appreciated because I expected to you know take care of my family mm -hmm. and so we couldn't afford to do that initially so we went together for another four years. And during that time, it was about the same time that Homer Goddard came. And um, I loved Homer. Homer and Isabel uh, introduced me to 
um, making yourself absolutely vulnerable. And um, there were no trite phrases that passed without a challenge. What do you mean by that? Uh, how's that impacting your life? Uh, what are you going to do with that? Um, and so that kind of uh, um, challenge in a positive way uh, was uh, new for me. And it could have been offsetting, but it wasn't. Um, it made you think, made you think about your faith. And what do you mean you're a believer? Um, and they invested in developing leadership in the young people that surrounded them. Um, they knew that I was going to go into the Marine Corps. And um, so rather than um, pushing me into another direction, uh, they wanted to know what the Lord wanted to do with me. Um, I didn't have it quite right, though. Um, I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew that I'd wanted to do that my entire life almost. And so it was more of, Lord, I love you, and which was a central part of my life and our marriage, um, but I'm going in the Marine Corps. So I kind of had my priorities reversed, and um, I didn't realize it at that point. Uh, 1968, Michelle and I were married in this church, and we've been married be 55 years, um, this coming July. And um, in 1969, we graduated. I was commissioned. Um, I was offered a regular commission in the Marine Corps, accepted it. And um, then we went to the East Coast training. I went to Army Ranger School um, and then uh, to Vietnam. Uh, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to lead young men and have that responsibility. And I loved it. Um, training them, um, helping them to survive, to come home alive. And that's what you do. You want the people you're with, you take care of them. And um, turns out they took care of me. Um, in 1970, uh, we had been uh, stuck out on a uh, island and uh, between a river that branched out and um, couldn't make it back in. And so um, the Vietnam knew the Vietnamese knew exactly where we were located tried to uh, overrun us that night. Um, the next morning, uh, we were trying to make it back in to our uh, company size uh, element. And uh, my point man tri tripped a wire. There was a buoy trapped 80 round, that 82 round, that was, which is a mortar round, which was right under me. And so, and only he and I were out. The rest of the group was back. Um, uh, maintaining a watch on the place where we had been uh, stuck that night. And uh, so my world changed. All of a sudden, I looked up, and all I could see was blood going up in the air with my heartbeat. I mean, it was just like every time my heartbeat, 
another spurt of blood would go up because my everything that was not covered by my flak jacket uh, was hit. And um, backs of my legs, basically the, the muscles were all gone. It, they were blown away. And um, we had a corpsman with us. Um, he was able to do what he could. They finally got a helicopter in there and um, got me to a field hospital. And uh, they did the triage right away. And um, as I, first of all, as I was laying there, this is a pivotal point in my life. I was laying there, I couldn't speak. All I could see was this blood going up in the air. And I said, is this it? Is this, am I ever gonna see my wife again? Um, and the Lord said to me, I am not done with you yet. And I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to live. I'm not sure anybody else did. And uh, so they got me to the field hospital, they did the triage, and I'm right at the end because you work on those who have the best chance of surviving first. Well, I had the worst chance and uh, finally got me in the field hospital and uh, I heard the doctor say he's not gonna make it. And I'm screaming to myself, don't give up on me yet. And, but I couldn't say anything. And uh, I did make it. Uh, I stabilized after a while. I had almost 60 units of blood. Um, and uh, they finally got me into Da Nang, to a larger hospital. Before they could get me to the next hospital, which was in Yokosuka, Japan, I had to stabilize there. That took a while. Uh, in Yokosuka, uh, I was there for a month or two, I can't remember exactly. And, um, but I was out most of the time. I was treated as a burn patient. So I was isolated. I was on a circle electric bed. So I was strapped in and that's how they would rotate me. Um, and uh, for Michelle, she had moved back with her parents and was going to Fresno State to get her teaching degree and saw the two Marines come up to the front door. And uh, you knew what that meant. Well, I was training in Quantico, what they prepare you for is living or dying. You're either going to make it through it and you're gonna, or you, and come back. Uh, but being injured is really not something you think about so much. And um, for a while, they didn't know if I was going to keep my legs or not while we were in Japan. Um, and I kept telling them I want to keep my legs. And uh, Michelle and I would try to talk. The Red Cross would come in and bring a phone. There was no cell phones. And um, it would go on 45 minutes and I might say a couple of sentences because again, I, I was a morphine and, um, and so I would just fade out. And so the Red Cross person would speak to Michelle for me. And uh, so we did, she didn't know whether to fly over to see me or not, because uh, we didn't know how long I would be there. She didn't fly over as it turned out. The two Marines that came to Michelle's door what did they convey? 
that I'd been seriously wounded. And they couldn't, they didn't know any more than that either. Yeah. And, um, but they were wonderful with Michelle. They kept in contact with her, um, gave her updates on changes in my situation. And uh, so she was really thankful for the part they played. Yeah. And uh, then um, I was stabilized enough that uh, we flew back to the States and we were landed in, um, I think it's Fairfield, up by San Francisco on the north side, big air base there. This is now 1970. 1970. Okay. And um, all of us on this plane were stretcher cases mm -hmm. and in pretty bad shape many had lost several limbs and and uh, uh, they got us there in the late morning and uh, we were anxious to get to the hospital because I wanted to see Michelle mm -hmm. and uh, she was waiting there at Oak Knoll Naval Hospital um, and they wouldn't take us because uh, there were a lot of riots going on. And uh, they were throwing rocks and stuff at the buses that we were in. Um, and so they waited till nightfall to transport us from Fairfield to um, Oak Knoll. And there was Michelle. She should be here. Uh, she's the rock. And uh, um, so we're 22. I mean, we're pretty young still, and our lives have just been flipped over sideways. I had always relied mainly on my physical abilities, and um, and now that option was not there anymore. And uh, so I wasn't sure of what was going to happen, um, how how we were going to. Uh, move forward in our lives and uh, Michelle was so good never let me feel sorry for myself and that's tough with your spouse you know but she never let me and she, her faith is so strong and um, so at this, it, pardon me at this moment in time in your yeah. journey how frequently that you can recall, were you reflecting back on the moment that you heard from the Lord, I'm not done with you yet? Always. Always. Still. Always. I am blessed with 53 additional years yeah. since I was injured. Every, I don't take it for granted. Never. Every day is a gift. And I don't want to waste it. And... And my mindset changed in that uh, you think of various things, you pray, you believe the Lord's saying, this is the path I want you to pursue. And sometimes you just go, why? Why? My perspective flipped right over. It was, why not? Why not? I've been given this gift. And so um, we made it through uh, a long period of time, a hospitalization there. 
we came back to Fresno in 1971, and um, what a change in our lives happened then. Um, we were invited to join a couple's Bible study, and um, some of those people continue to be our closest friends. Linda Osborne and Baba. Linda and Michelle have had Bible studies from foreign lands, each of us in different places, all these years. They talk every week. Um, uh, oh, I'm trying to think Steve Neilmeyer and Janet Neilmeyer. Steve became one of my closest friends. He'd been injured in Vietnam. And uh, we had that kind of connection. Yeah. And um, uh, he was attending Fresno Pacific at that time. And uh, we just, that friendship lasted until a couple of years ago when Steve passed away. And we always uh, maintained a close relationship. And um, so there was that couple's Bible study. Uh, Homer and Isabel were still here. Um, they involved us in uh, the trainee program. And so we were advisors in the trainee program. Um, at one point in the 70s, I was elected to serve on session. And then um, we were junior high advisors Mm -hmm. And it's amazing the connections that have still filtered through to this day. The first person we ever had live in our apartment when we lived here was Terry Wright, who is now Terry Glaspie. Mm -hmm. We left Terry and uh, and Roger. Um, uh, Heidi Heidi Lynn, who was Heidi Garst at that time, was in our junior high group. Mm -hmm. um, and I meet with Skip and Roger and Gary sells every Saturday. Yeah. And so those threads still have maintained through all these years. Um, I was, uh, through college, I worked in a warehouse full time. Um, and um, so when I came back to Fresno in 71, I really didn't know what I could do uh, in terms of employment. Mm -hmm. And so I approached them first about uh, uh, doing it on a contract, straight commission. They were not committed to anything except paying me a percentage of whatever I sold. And so they gave me that opportunity. And so I sold wholesale farm equipment in California, Arizona. And was uh, I'd leave at 4.30 in the morning, get to the coast. If we had an advisor's meeting that night, I'd come back here at 6.30 and would do that. Our wheels were spinning all the time. Um, and um, we were exhausted. I had another major operation, had to have a year where I was not working because I couldn't. And so I went back to school, got another degree in accounting. Because um, I learned that people can put on a good show, but until you can read their books, you really, <laughs> you really don't know how they're doing. Yeah. So I wanted to have that extra skill. And in 1976, we visited uh, Michelle's parents who had, he had been transferred to Anchorage, Alaska. So we went up to visit them. And it was like, this is where we need to be. 
at this point in our life. And so we came back to Fresno, um, and in 1978, I uh, rebuilt a uh, 1947 Willys pickup, had friends still in the Marine Corps here who ran it through, camouflaged it, and um, we took that and drove up in winter to Alaska. And um, that was the next phase in our life. Fresno was focused the church on relationships, building relationships with people, which I appreciated very much. Um, and I mean, I mean spirit-filled relationships. Not, and so uh, pursuing those in depth um, was uh, key for us at that time. Uh, when we moved to Alaska, uh, we ended up living 70 miles north of Anchorage on a place called, in a place called Willow at Nancy Lake. Beautiful, wonderful. Our windows looked out onto Mount McKinley and uh, no TV. Um, and uh, our neighbors were quite a ways away. Um, our church, we found, was in a place called Wasilla Presbyterian Church, a mission church. Um, and the pastor was uh, Joe Betridge and his wife, Becky. Becky became close friends with Michelle. Uh, we tended to gravitate towards the ministers where we were. Um, and um, that was a whole different experience. Um, they really talked about the Holy Spirit and not just talked about it, but experienced the Holy Spirit. And uh, not something the Methodist Church really focused on when I was there. You really didn't talk about it much. And we didn't talk about it at Fourth either. It was like, okay, it says Holy Spirit, but uh, we're not going to have a class or a discussion or anything like that. Uh, and you can't do all things, maybe. But uh, so that was a key transition uh, and addition um, that we developed there was uh, seeing the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And uh, as leery as I was, I went to a healing ceremony, a uh, healing service. And uh, at that time I was going, I had bone infections and other things that developed. And, um, and I was healed, not from the bone infection, but something else. And I believed. I believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful we had that opportunity. We lived there for six years to uh, really appreciate uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And um, we got to a point where um, we really needed to get reengaged. Alaska gave us time to breathe, to reflect. Uh, develop new friendships. Uh, we had been going 120 miles an hour since I got injured till we left. And we really hadn't reflected on what had really changed our lives so much. And we needed that. And Alaska gave us that opportunity. And that church gave us that opportunity. But 
towards the end, there was a lot going on in the world. I love looking at different things happening in the world, but I wanted to be engaged in them. I didn't want to just read about them. And I felt I was at a point where I was strong enough to do that. Michelle and I prayed about it. And so um, we had drove out of Alaska, across Canada, to go to graduate school. We cried when we left Alaska. We loved that so much. We did not know what was ahead of us. That's part of the adventure. Mm-hmm. When you feel called to do something, you don't get a guarantee on what it's going to look like at the end. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to know exactly what that's going to look like. I'm just, I appreciate the opportunity to have the adventure, to follow God's call. And uh, so I started graduate school in Washington, D.C. And uh, we joined Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland. They had just left the USA and joined the EPC. Uh, They're a very large church. I didn't know how that was going to work. Are you going to get to know anybody? What a wonderful gathering. Uh, The pastor had just arrived, Rob Norris from Hollywood Presbyterian Church. He's he's Welsh. And uh, Rob's preaching on the Scripture was as powerful as I've ever heard. I came to love the Scripture. And so here's another part of my spiritual life that I had the opportunity to really develop and appreciate. And uh, we were advisors for young married couples there. Um, And also we're in a Bible study with other couples. Uh, But uh, hearing Rob preach was uh, a joy. And you were specifically studying what at the graduate school? uh, public policy, okay. national security policy. Okay. So public policy is the big picture. Yeah. National security policy is the focus. Um, and since I didn't have, I mean, I had majored in business and accounting. Those don't really put you on the track to go into that. So I earned one master's degree, I earned another master's degree, and then focused on my dissertation. Um, in... Uh, 1987, uh, I was recruited by an intelligence agency. I'm 40 years old at that point. And uh, uh, they usually are recruiting between 26 and I think 32 is their span, but they can do direct hires. So they were interested in what I, my focus was, and um, which was insurgency, counterinsurgency, development of that policy. And um, so they approached me, and, and I said yes, at, well, after talking to Michelle and praying about it, uh, because when I went to graduate school, I went to graduate school, and I loved it. I loved the research. I, and, and I was at, up in Boston doing research. I was down in D.C. doing research, and, and that's the place to be because that's where all the big defense issues are focused. And... Um, so that was, a, for me, just a wonderful time. Had a couple more operations while I was there and um, uh, didn't seem to bother the agency. So um, we started then a career where um, uh, 
uh, we were overseas a great deal of the time uh, in the Southwest Asia, uh, Middle East, and North Africa, uh, because that's where everything was happening. And so it's called the Northeast Division is the group that uh, recruited me. Um, that that was a, a another significant change in our lives because, uh, of course, I couldn't uh, reveal who I worked for, so I had State Department cover. And so um, my parents died never knowing where I worked. Uh, our friends didn't know where I worked. Um, this was very difficult because, again, here we are in the 70s with this relation where we, we bared our souls to those around us mm -hmm. and our friends. Uh, and so now uh, we're kind of, I'm having to basically lie to them when we come back. And we would come back every couple of years and it became harder and harder because uh, they would ask me what I was doing. Well, why don't you talk to us about that, you know, or uh, let's have a group meet and you can share. And I'm going, oh my gosh, you know, I'm making up all this stuff. And, and these are people I love. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I found that that was absolutely critical because you never know who's gonna show up on your doorstep. And I'm in India and here's Sam and Betsy Reeves, you know? And so it doesn't, people travel, mm -hmm. people communicate with other people. And for me, if, if I'm exposed, that means the people I'm working with are exposed. And uh, you just can't afford that. And so that, that became a part of our life. My focus was on uh, terror, terrorists. And um, uh, so I was in the right part of the world for that. Um, we worked seven days a week. My, my perspective was I've been sent here, not on a holiday, but to track down these people or to recruit these people. And um, so they were the, the worst of the worst. And I, I loved it. I loved what I did. And um, we were in Peshawar for several years, which is in Pakistan, which is the entrance to the Khyber Pass. At that time, the Taliban were headquartered in um, Peshawar. So uh, for Michelle, a tough time. Here's a, a white woman, not covered. Uh, and all the women there had burqas on. I mean, black. I don't care if it was 115. These ladies had to wear these things. And um, so, but Michelle, she is, she goes with the flow. You know, she is who she is. And, um, and we were okay with that. Uh, but we had to be careful who we were with. Again, it's like when we moved to Anchorage or uh, back east to Bethesda, uh, we tend to gravitate towards the, the, the ministers get to know them, have relationship with them. Um, here, uh, we had uh, like a community gathering and um, our first pastor became the head of Frontier Fellowship when he went back uh, to the States. And so a uh, really dedicated couple. Um, in um, Beshower, it was just a gathering of all the missionaries 
wonderful. Uh, it, it wasn't a matter of what denomination or anything like that. You had a chance to praise the Lord in a place where you were by far the minority. And um, the hostility towards the Christians. Um, you could kill a Christian and there were not going to be any repercussions. And um, we would meet at a on the military base, which was right next to the consulate, and in a huge auditorium, which was part of a school there. And so we would have, uh, every week, we would have a gathering there. And these missionaries would come out of Afghanistan and, and you know, the far northern parts of Pakistan. And uh, what an inspiration to be with them. Uh, but we couldn't pursue those relationships because if they got tainted by me, they were gone, period. So that was tough, not being able to, please have dinner with us, you know? I want to get to know you better. Um, but that was part of the job. Um, but to get to know what they had to go through in, in their mission work, and I just became so impressed with the sacrifices that missionaries make uh, and their love for the Lord that carries them through the toughest of times. Uh, the school where we met, uh, a year or two after we left, Taliban went in and they killed 53 children, killed a number of adults, just went in with machine guns and just shot everybody because they were irate that that was being used as a gathering place for Christians. They did that on the military base. Um, so those Christians that are there, and one of them worked for us uh, in our home, um, they, uh, they know the danger they're in, they love the Lord, and they're willing to not sacrifice that relationship because of fear. And um, so I was very impressed with, with them. Um, we then moved on uh, to another posting, and um, uh, Michelle couldn't go with me. It was an active area in North Africa. And so we were, uh, I was there two years. Uh, overall, we were separated almost five years uh, because of places that I went that she couldn't go. Tough. I love my wife. Uh, we have a great relationship. Yes, we argue. <laughs> we disagree. That's, I don't want somebody that mirrors me. I want somebody that, you know, comes at it from a different perspective. And um, so that was tough being separated for that amount of time. And um, one of our postings was to Israel, which was wonderful. I was declared there to the service. I worked with the Mossad and the Shin Bet. And uh, so, you know, that gave us a little more freedom. And, but we were based in Tel Aviv, but we were in Jerusalem every chance we got. We loved going to Jerusalem. And then we went to other areas of uh, Israel. In fact, they took us. Mossad arranged for trips for us to go where 
normally you couldn't go because they were in control of the area, but uh, uh, they would take us to those areas too. We would look down from the Golan Heights uh, into Damascus. You understand all of a sudden why the Golan Heights are so critical. Uh, you're watching the planes land there in Damascus. And um, so I had an appreciation for just the, the reason the Israelis are so focused on their security. This is a very small piece of land. They are not, they are outnumbered on every side. Well, we've got the Med on one side. But um, so you understand, or I began to appreciate, and I get to appreciate when it talks about in the Bible, Jesus walking from point A to point B and gathering crowds at the uh, Sea of Galilee. Uh, you just, I, I just pray that others will be able to go to Israel, see that, and see how our Lord moved around that country and the crowds that came with him. Uh, it, it's so humbling, and it brings some the Bible to life for you. And this is now your time in uh, North Africa, and then Israel is about what year span now? Uh, North Africa was like uh, 98 to 2000, okay. and, um, and then Israel was 2000 to 2002, and a month after we arrived in Israel, the Second Intifada started. So these things kind of follow me around, or I follow them around. So they were, they were basically at war the whole time we were there. Uh, we lived right on the prom, off the promenade uh, in Tel Aviv, and top floor, and we could, we knew when the attacks were going to take place on the Israeli side because the helicopters were moving at our same height right past us, going down the Med, going down to Gaza. And fortunately, in what the work I did, um, I was able to go to the Gaza Strip many times, able to go to the West Bank, uh, able to meet with Arafat in Ramallah, um, and uh, knew how much money was being poured into uh, the Palestinian cause, whether it was the Gaza Strip or in the West Bank, and how little of that ever reached the people. There are a lot of big bank accounts in Europe, Switzerland, and it, it just, they're living in such squalor. They're just crammed in there. And uh, so fortunately, in our organization was the one organization that they both had, I don't want to say trust, but we were able to bring the leaders of both sides together in various places to try to call for a ceasefire, mm -hmm. and we're able to do that many times. Um, so in Israel, we were able to go um, to Gethsemane. Um, Easter was, of course, in Jerusalem, um, which was a wonderful experience also. Uh, we attended uh, like community churches in uh, Jaffa, um, just south of, of Tel Aviv. Um, Michelle's sister, Denise, was able to come visit us 
and uh, which was also a joy because that was the only place we've ever lived that she could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, after Israel, I came back to the States, uh, uh, was involved in training for a while, uh, and said, this is fine, but I need to be more active. And so then I was sent to Iraq and was in Iraq for 13 months. And um, so I'm 60 at this point. I mean, I am 20, 25 years older than all of those around me. I had been, again, pushing my, myself physically uh, very hard for all of those years I was overseas. Um, um, kind of uh, the best I could, uh, not letting headquarters know <laughs> how I was, and uh, uh, because I wanted to stay overseas. And uh, so in about a month before I was called back or retired, uh, uh, three of us were sitting together. We were being mortared like three or four times a week in, in Iraq. And uh, I was in charge of uh, the Shia area of Iraq. So Iran was right over here. We were based in uh, uh, Babel, Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. So we were based there. And um, uh, so they were shipping lots of arms. The IRGC was actively involved in that area. So that was my area of responsibility. The two holiest sites for uh, the Shiites are located there too. So there was always huge groups coming in, and the Sunnis would attack them. Um, so it was almost a civil war at that point going on. Um, but the three of us were sitting there, and uh, one of the mortar rounds came through the roof and landed right at our feet. And I'm going, you know, I d- I've done this already. <laughs> and it turned out to be a dud. did not explode. Um, and so I... Again, was so thankful uh, for being able to move forward from there. Uh, Michelle and I had uh, come back uh, to the States. When we did come back, we would also go to Maine. We loved it in Maine. And so we were going to retire there. And so in 2006, when I went to Iraq, we bought a place there in a community uh, in Orono, Maine. And uh, so when I came back, that's where we settled, was in Maine. Um, We also had a cottage on the coast, so we would go over to the coast and spend time there. We joined a Presbyterian church there. uh, But what we found, it was very, very difficult to develop relationships. Um, If you're not from Maine... You're, you really are an outsider. I don't care if you came when you were 10 years old. You still are not from Maine. And so uh, while we did have some good friends there and we still maintain contact with them, uh, the church was uh, very much centered on the pastor. Uh, you, uh, If issues or a committee meeting took place and the pastor wasn't there, you couldn't make a decision. I'm going, why can't you make a decision? We're here, you know? And uh, so that was very hard. Um, And it was very hard being away from our families. We'd been gone for 37 years, and our nephews and nieces had grown up, um, had children. Um, 
and we really hadn't been involved in any of their lives. And uh, Michelle is close to her sister, uh, Denise. Uh, my sister is here also. And so we decided uh, our families trumped geography. And uh, while we loved it there, we moved back to Fresno. And uh, what a blessing. Where we've seen so much change, I thought, am I going to see the same thing? Uh, same focus, same people as when I left. No. I looked around, and I didn't know these people. And I thought, this is wonderful. There's new blood in here. And I know the church had gone through many different things over the years. But uh, there were people coming here who wanted to love the Lord. And um, uh, so we were just pleased to be back in Fresno and here and to be with our families. And that has been a joy. Um, my focus, again, is I don't, I don't know what give up means uh, because I think that would almost betray what the Lord said to me. Uh, I'm not done with you yet. And I don't know what he's going to do with me next. And that's okay. Um, but I know he has a plan. And f at this point in my life, I'm going through transis transitions. Uh, my legs are getting weaker and weaker. Um, so in my mind, I think I would like to do this. And if it invo involves a great deal of being on your feet and your legs, I, I'm not. I'm not sure I can do that. I'm in such pain. I'm in pain every day. That's. It's a reminder, um, and I have operations. That's a reminder, always a reminder of how far I've been able to come, and I am thankful for that. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. Um, I'm thankful to the Lord for Michelle. Uh, she is such a blessing in my life. I. I would not be here, I don't think, without her. And um, so in this church, I'm excited for this church. Jeremy's preaching. I'm loving. He's just mining the scriptures. And he's got a gift for that. And I think he's got freedom to do that. And I love that. Uh, but we're going in a lot of different ways with the staff now. So I, I see real focus on the future and the Lord leading this congregation in, in a very positive way. And uh, I served on session when I got back. I'm thankful for that opportunity to do that again. Um, and I'm thankful for those who've said yes to being on session and deacons for the commitments that they've made to do that, because it is a big commitment. Uh, but that doesn't absolve the rest of us from <laughs> pitching in also. Uh, so as I wind up my life story, uh, I'm looking forward to what's next. What's some counsel that you would um, like to give yourself 20 years ago? Uh, well, 20 years ago, I was doesn't have to be 20, but just something. Oh, yeah, long, maybe before the agency or something. Yeah, uh, just something that you've learned over time that you wish you would have known. Well, maybe I knew, but I didn't know how to apply effectively. Surrender. Surrender. 
give up yourself. Mm. And that's hard to do sometimes. Like, I want to do one thing, but I did not surrender completely. And you've got to surrender. How have you learned to do that practically in your life? Um, what does it look like? It looks like freedom. It looks like being absolutely free, not stuck in a worry and machinations over whatever you're thinking about, but being absolutely free because you know you're not in charge, and I know I'm not in charge. And so that freedom comes from my surrendering mm -hmm. to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I think there's an adventure, adventurer in many of us, and we haven't really discovered yet how to understand and engage that adventure. And your life, Bill, is a testimony to engaging the adventure and the call. Um, what counsel would you like to give our listeners about how to discover that and how to see God in the midst of that? Um. Get out of your way. Get out of your way. Uh, whether it's in your business uh, or in your profession, whatever that is, or in your marriage, get out of your way. If the Lord's not your primary focus in all of those things that you do, um, I don't know that you're going to have the uh, courage to seek the adventure because you know what you know. You know what you have, house, business, cars, whatever those things are. You know what they are. They're things in the, in the scheme of things with Jesus Christ. Uh, you can walk away from any of those things. If you're following him, he is going to bless you. Have faith in him. And uh, uh, I just am so thankful that I'm not thankful I was injured, uh, but I'm thankful that it put me on the path of really surrendering to him and not worrying about having to have all the answers when you take those first steps in your adventure. And he has a plan for each one of us. That doesn't mean you're going to go all these different places, maybe right here maybe saying yes to something right here in this church. And that's your adventure. Mm -hmm. And take, a, take advantage of that. Is it okay to be fearful of not knowing what it's gonna look like if you follow? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't know what was gonna happen when I got to various places. But the Lord knew, and by golly, the, I mean, doors opened up. Uh, opportunities opened up. Um, he's not sending you someplace to fail. He's not sending you on that next step to fail. He's sending you because you've believed in him, you've asked him for direction, he's given you guidance, and you're going to bless him there, wherever that is, and he's going to bless you. What have you found to be the best steps to take or what would how would you counsel others of how to discover 
where is the Lord leading me? Um, if you feel like you're in a rut, stuck in life, uh, unsure of why you're where you are, um, I think you need to be able to be vulnerable who, with those who you trust, um, other believers who you trust, be vulnerable so you can receive their input also. Mm -hmm. um, he surrounds us with people who uh, have insights that we don't have, and um, sometimes we just don't take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm so thankful for people that have had input in my life. Uh, because they gave me insights into areas where I needed to grow. Mm -hmm. And he provided me with opportunities to grow in my faith in different ways that I would have never uh, probably pursued. So you need to be vulnerable. Again, the word surrender comes up. You need to absolutely surrender to him. If you do it with a caveat or an asterisk, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to compromise with you, mm -hmm. you know? He knows what's best. And so we have to trust in that. Yeah. You've had at least one, probably more experiences of looking at death, mm -hmm. which is behind in your testimony seen each day as a gift. For those of us who've yet to experience that, how would you counsel and encourage us as to how to see each day as a gift? Um, well, one, on the death part, I don't fear death. It, I don't fear death anymore. Yeah. Um, again, I've been given, given this gift, and only the Lord knows the time. And so that's not going to be a worry on my mind. Um, uh, how others are going to receive. It's going to be different for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to want it for one thing. If you don't want it, you're probably not going to receive it. And um, so I think you need to, to decide what your priorities are in your life. And that was one of the things I had out, out of kilter. I negotiated with God, and you don't negotiate with God. Um, and so I don't negotiate with God. And so be open, be vulnerable, surrender. Good words to end on. Bill, thank you for taking the time to share your history and your story and your testimony. We very much appreciate it. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. If you have not yet met Bill, you can easily find him at FPC with his service dog, Lucy, who is hard to miss in both size and her sweet disposition. Be sure and introduce yourself to Bill and tell him about an adventure in your own life. I'm sure he'd love to hear it. If you have any questions or feedback from our FPC Conversations podcast, feel free to send us an email at conversations at fpcfresno.org. May this podcast deepen your faith deepen our love for one another, and ultimately help us become more like Jesus. Until next time.